Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy! Church, my name is Aaron. I'm the pastor here. This Sunday, it kicks off the first Sunday of Advent, uh, which is in the Christian church calendar. Now, you might be thinking, I'm not a pastor. I don't care. Like, what does that even matter to me, right? Or maybe you're thinking, like, you know, like, why does that even matter? I, I, I don't, it doesn't, it's not something I follow. And I get you, as that would be totally me if I was in your shoes right now. But what we're going to do, actually, is spend the next four weeks here at church to cover the real meaning, the real purpose of Advent. Unlike maybe some of your experiences growing up with Advent, if you even had any, or maybe not totally understanding what it's all about, or maybe it's being kind of boring or kind of a snooze fest for you, what we're going to do is we're going to make it relevant, real to your life today to help you grow in your relationship with God this Christmas. So to start, what is Advent even? What is Advent? Advent is the arrival, the arrival of something. It's kind of a fancy word that's in Latin that kind of means the coming or arrival. It's purely a church tradition that makes you slow down and go into a time of reflection, of devotion, and prayer to celebrate what Christmas time is all about, the coming or the arrival of Jesus. I get it though. Some of you might be like, "Eh, I don't stinking need a tradition like Advent to help me slow down or reflect during this time of year because it never gets busy or distracting. And sarcasm, if you didn't catch my tone, right? Because this season is so fast, right? It's so busy. Sales, shopping, cookies, snowman, Santa, presents, food, more food, more food, right? Sweaters, mistletoe, Christmas movies, traditions, parties, parties, more parties, right? There's just so much going on during this time. We get in the rhythm of go that we miss the reason why we are even going. Can you relate? Maybe spending more time on the extras of Christmas season instead of spending actual time on the real meaning of Christmas. If so, do you sense that maybe you need Advent? That it maybe has a purpose for you? For centuries, Christian people have forced themselves into this practice of spending the four weeks leading up to Christmas to prepare themselves for the celebration and remembrance of Jesus. Yeah, you heard me right. We're four weeks away from Christmas, so I saw maybe some of your judgy glances that like, Christmas music already here? And like, Christmas decorations? Seriously? We're four weeks away. So from my unobjective, or my, my unobjective opinion... Now is the time to actually start decorating and to actually start listening to Christmas music. If it was before this, too soon, all right? But now is the appropriate time, four weeks or four Sundays away. But for real, Advent, it's a time Christians think about Jesus' first arrival here on earth and all the things the people of that time were experiencing and feeling, waiting for him to come. But then it's also this time Advent is this time where we today look forward to a promise of Jesus' second coming, his second coming to earth, the future for us, because Jesus has promised us to come again, to make things forever right for us. So Advent for us today, it makes us sit between the two, the past and the future. Again, the past being that Jesus came as a baby, he lived for us, he died for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, and then ascended into heaven and says anyone can have a life of forgiveness and purpose with God through him. And then the future, 
The future is a time where God will come and make things right for all mankind forever. This maybe is a newer concept to some of you, but it's seen over in Scripture multiple times throughout verses. Uh, here's one example in Revelation 1-7. It says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes on earth will wail on account of him. Jesus is to come again someday as king to make things right for all and to have full peace on earth. So although we, we are past Jesus' birth, we can look to it and learn from it as we are in a similar situation to feeling what maybe many were feeling while waiting for Jesus to come the first time as we long for the second coming. How the Advent tradition does this and helps us reflect and prepare for Jesus is it puts emphasis on four biblical themes. The four that we're studying is hope, peace, joy, and love. Some churches or some traditions do it maybe in a different order, but this is what we're going to be looking at to celebrate Advent. Now, you might be thinking, as a Christian, is this required? No. No. Will this make you a better person in God's eyes? No. Can you just nap during the message because you don't technically need to do Advent? I guess technically you could. But if you ask the question this way, could observing this tradition allow you to experience God and the reason for Christmas in a deeper way than what you've ever experienced before? Maybe. Could reflecting on Advent allow you to have a sincere hope for the future and beyond the present? I think definitely. Definitely. Which leads me to ask you, have you experienced hope, love, joy, and peace from what has happened in the past through Jesus' arrival on earth? Do you have a confident hope in the future, an expectation for him to come and make things right in the future? If not, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if you could? So as we dive into this Advent series, we're kicking it off with the theme of hope. What do you think of when it comes to hope for you? When you think of like the word hope, what comes to mind for you? For me, there's a couple movie clips that come to mind, but particularly one. Anybody got like one that like really comes to mind to them? Anybody thinking Star Wars? Maybe it's just me. I guess it's just me. I'm thinking Star Wars. This is the scene that comes to mind from like the original Star Wars movie. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my, You're my only, only hope. hope, right? You're our only hope. That's what comes to mind for me. When I think of hope, I think about being an optimistic person of desiring of what I think is good or happy or pleasant, or even desiring the lack of bad things to happen. Like, I hope for deer when I'm hunting, but if you were here last week, you heard it's pretty unlikely for me. I hope for Christmas lights to work when I pull them out of my, my attic and to be able to put them up in 20 minutes. Yeah, that's unlikely. It's like impossible. They never seem to work and you never have enough time for it. I hope for consistent warm weather but it's November in Wisconsin. It's not going to happen. I hope for M&M cookies and coffee on my desk every morning when I arrive here, but that's just not really how it works, right? I hope for safe travels. I hope for good health. I hope for no car issues. I hope for Packer wins. I hope for no crying babies. I hope for people to show up on Sundays. These are all things I hope for, but none of these have a certainty for the future, nor a guarantee. They're just basically wishes, what do you hope for that's kind of like that? Maybe it's for a gift for something for Christmas. Maybe it's with things to go smoothly at a holiday dinner. Or maybe it's for someone to treat you well. Or for that bonus or that raise or that job that maybe you're wanting. Maybe it's a desire for something to go your way. Maybe it's for good health. 
Hope can be all of those things, and honestly, a worthwhile and positive mindset to have at times, too. But it's actually a bit different than the biblical hope we're going to be studying and focusing on today. Hope in the Bible is confident expectation for something promised to happen in the future. What that means is people in the Bible weren't just wishing for things to happen in the future. They had this confidence in what they hoped for. In the Old Testament, there are two primarily uh, Hebrew words that are translated into hope today. Uh, I'm not like a Hebrew scholar or anything like that, but we're going to study these two different words. The first one is yakal and kava are the two, this is the second one. Yakal means to wait or to be in anticipation for something. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he talks about waiting for grapes, yakal for grapes, wanting them to grow once they've been planted. He's waiting in anticipation for it. Kava, which also means to wait, it's used in Micah in the Old Testament, talking about farmers waiting for the dew to come each morning so that their, their plants can grow and be healthy. Hope back then was waiting with anticipation, but with sincere expectation. I believe it's best described this way. I've used this illustration before here on a Sunday, but it's like a rope with tension being pulling, pulled, 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 and it's fraying, and you see it about to split. You don't know when, but it's going to come at some point. As a parent or a past youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for about eight years before I planted this church, and it makes me think of water balloons, actually, for some reason. I don't know why, but if you have water balloons out, or if you fill water balloons, right, they're gonna blow, they're gonna, like, explode in some capacity. Like, they're gonna just pop. Someone's gonna throw them. They're gonna be, like, somehow get everywhere, get wet in some way. Apparently, when they're in slow motion, they don't actually pop, but you know at some point they're going to pop, right? If you have the water balloons out, they're gonna pop. It's inevitable. We know if we fill them and start throwing them and try to get someone wet, we can have confident expectation it's going to happen. Again, that's what you see for hope in Scripture, especially even in the Psalms. The Psalms you can see over 40 times, people talk about this type of hope, an expectant uh, thing for God to come and provide. In Psalm uh, 39.7 it says, But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. People in biblical times, they have this type of hope because they have seen God in his faithfulness in the past. It's not a view of hope like of simply being optimistic or an optimistic person, but a hope based off of the steadfast character of God who has come through in the past over and over again for his people. And he's consistently made things right for his people. They've seen things They've heard things passed on from their ancestors, from their family. So back then, when it came to promises and predictions that were unfulfilled in Scripture of what God is still going to do, they had hope for it. One that's, that revolves around Christmas is Isaiah 9-6. This is in the Old Testament. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So in the Old Testament, we can see the people of God, they were in a time where they can hear and look back on what God has done in the past. And they can also choose to look forward and have certain hope on what God has promised for the future, such as Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, all those things that were stated there. If you were to place yourself in their shoes, do you think you could have confident hope in Jesus to come? 
Do you think you would change your posture of, of what you would do in your present as you're waiting for Jesus to come his first time? How about now? How about right now? If we think about Jesus coming one day in the future to make things right forever in the world, do you have a hope in that? Are you changing what you do right now? How you think as you prepare for that? To paint a clearer picture of this, I want to tell you a story about three different people. Two of them are in Scripture, and one is, is kind of an embellished character. But they, the two that we're going to talk about, they embodied biblical hope that has amazing ties to the Christmas time. And they are people whom you probably have never heard of before. They're in, mentioned in Luke 2. Uh, the first two I want to talk about are Jewish men. They're Jewish men from biblical times. These two, I imagine, they've heard stories from God and his faithfulness passed on from their relatives, their family members, over and over again, year after year. They've heard the story of how God has rescued their people from the oppression of the Egyptians hundreds of years ago. Like, they can even look back to, like, my forefather, like, was saved back then. They would have seen how God saved them in their hardships. They've heard how God uses ordinary people. They can even look back to their ancestors of people that knew Moses or had connections there or, or David or Esther or Noah. They've seen how God provides and is worth following. They've heard all of the great stories of the Old Testament. They know them quite well, actually. They even know how to connect with God through prayer and devotion. Yet I imagine these two people are pretty real people. They're pretty real people. Life happens, managing a family happens, and livelihood like needs uh, come up. The daily grind takes precedence. And one of the two, I imagine, is just kind of numb to it all. They're numb to it all of the repeating stories. They've heard them, and honestly, this person's kind of so-so about all the God stuff anyways. They're just busy. They're occupied with other things. Plus, it's been hundreds of years since God has done something amazing, like rescued his people from the Egyptians or Babylon, and he starts to drift. I want to pause on that person and go to the second man. The second man's name is Simeon. Simeon, something just sits with him, though. He knows the prophets have predictions in the scripture that God is going to come. He's going to show up again and make things right for Israel, his people, redeem purpose for his people. He studied the passage of Isaiah that we just read, predicting that a Messiah will come. He truly believes this is what God's people need. And something just stirs hope in him that it's going to happen in his lifetime. And one night, he receives prompting from God to head to the temple. So he goes. Let's pause on him for a second and go to our last person. For our last person, the third person, who's quite different than the first two. Her name is Anna. Anna is a follower of God. She's actually a prophet. She's experienced some hardships in life. She's aging. She's lost her husband. And she's now a widow at 84. She's no stranger to pain and suffering and loneliness. She has been, she's been longing for something. She's been longing for things to get better in the world. That the world isn't right and that God is still up to something. So she has hope. She maybe comes across as kind of the crazy religious chick or the church person who just wants as much God as she possibly can. She worships at the temple every night, fasting and praying, hoping for redemption of God's people. Well, of our three people, one is probably away doing their own thing, while the other two, Simeon and Anna, happen to be at the temple when this young couple walks in 
with their 40-day-old newborn ready to dedicate him to the Lord. In Luke 2, 22-23, it says this, Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, If a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So this couple, Mary and Joseph, show up at the temple with their newborn, Jesus. This 40-day-old son, the one who has so far fit all of the prophecies of the Messiah predicted to come years prior. And both Anna and Simeon are delighted. Verse 28 says, Simeon took him into his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And then Anna, she came along, verse 38 says, she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about this child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Can you imagine being Anna or Simeon here? The Savior, this Messiah, in the form of an infant, the one they've been waiting for, hoping for, is revealed to them. We don't really know how they know it's him, but they just have this sense that this is him. Can you imagine the amount of certainty, the amount of clarity that they just received on their hope for change? Can you imagine the intensity of hope fulfilled already for what's to come for them? Anna and Simeon, they show us hope when it's with God's promises. It can be confident. And if we fast forward some 30-ish years after the event, when Jesus does his ministry, he dies and is resurrected, we can see their hope before and during was worth it. We don't really know what happens to Simeon or Anna after this night, but I can imagine their life, their hope, their relationship with God was never the same. As you think about you, who would you say your hope is most like? Again, we started with three characters you find yourself having confident hope like we see in Anna and Simeon, one that moves you to action, to pursuing the presence of God, to sharing who he is with others, or do you find yourself like the first unnamed man, the made-up character, the one that might just be too distracted, too busy, too uninterested, too caught up in their own thing that they miss what God could be revealing to them? I don't know about you, but I want hope like Anna and Simeon had. So what I want to do for our remaining time together today is analyze a little bit of what Anna and Simeon did to, to help us have hope and not miss what God could be maybe revealing to us in our waiting. So the first thing that I think we can see from Anna and Simeon is they have hope in God's promises. They have hope in God's promises. Simeon and Anna, they had hope that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to change everything for them and God's people. And he did. But they had hope in it because it was a promise from God years prior. Do you trust God's promises? Do you trust the things he promises to you? This is a tough one, right? Because sometimes I feel we don't really know what are his promises. What has God promised us offhand? And honestly, we can easily start like kind of like just using Christian cliches or things we've heard in circles and think those are the promises when really that's never something God promised. It's like we sometimes don't filter through what are actual promises of God. It makes me think of commercials a little bit, or just marketing in general. Like, commercials are meant to help you see the good, right? The, to have the phrase fit to what your liking is, uh, instead of, like, what's actually true. 
what you really need is, you need like a guy, like during a commercial, just to like call things out as it is. Like, that's not true. That's fake. Or like a fact check, so to speak, right? Well, have you ever seen the Chevy commercials before? Like where they bring in like, they say, not actors, real people, you know, and then they come and they give opinions on like what they think of the Chevy. Well, we're going to watch one in a second, but it's a parody. It's as if, what if there actually was a real person in this commercial? Like, what if they actually were, like, saying the things that maybe other people were thinking, but you don't actually see in the commercial? Check it out. Hello? Hi. So, we invited you here today to get your honest opinion about this new car. But, to keep it unbiased, we removed all the badging and all the logos, so you won't know what brand it is. <laughs> so, go ahead and take some time. To Chevy uh, Malibu. So go ahead and take some time, check it out, and uh, let me know what you think it is. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like an Audi. It's a Chevy Malibu. It has keyless entry. Oh, Ooh, <laughs> keyless entry. My 84 Nissan Maxima had keyless entry. So this car supports Apple CarPlay. Siri, open maps. I don't understand. Siri, open maps. I don't see anything connected. Right, this is a bit silly, but if we want sincere hope, we need someone to call out the truth and the not-so-truthful, right? Simeon and Adam, or Simeon and Anna, they knew God's promises and they had hope in them because they knew what was written in God's word. To do that, you need to look and read God's Bible. You need to know Scripture, look at Scripture. And if you don't have a Bible at home to do that or start doing that, we have Bibles for you. Grab one at the Welcome Center on your way out. But I want to give you like, some clarity on some things of some misconceptions people tend to have of truths, and then some actual promises from God. So I want to start with seven misconceptions, seven things that people tend to think are true from God but aren't. So the first one, God promises an easy or happy life. That's not true. It's not in the Bible. Uh, success and wealth, that's not true. God does not promise that. A lifelong husband or wife, that's not true. He does not promise that. Answers to your questions, that is not a promise in Scripture. Children who respect you or God, that's not a promise. What you think is best, that's not a promise that God's going to provide that way. To give you only what we can handle, that is not true. That is not in Scripture. Then, to go to some of the truths, some promises that God does give us, God, promise, or God will give you strength. That's in Ephesians. To give you rest. That's in Matthew. To take care of your needs. To answer your prayers. To be with you and protect you. That nothing will separate you two. Freedom from sin and everlasting life. These are promises that can be seen in Scripture from God that we can actually hold on to. We can hope for because we can see it in Scripture. And we know it's true of His character to fulfill promises like this. We might have to wait, but it's something that God promises, which should move you to being more like Simeon and Anna in response to it with your day-to-day -day life. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you put your hope in God when it comes to these type of things? Or do you put your hope in other things? When we correctly put our hope in God for these things, we can experience a similar hope that Simeon and Anna did. One that moves you to a positive posture and longing for God. Do you have that? Have you accepted those promises before? If you never have and you see that list of promises up there and think, I want that. I want that. I, and you, you know that these promises are God's gift to you. They're God's gift to his people, and they're available to you if you want it. I don't know about you, but like when I see the list of those promises, it's desirable to me. 
Sure, you saw some of the misconceptions or things that maybe aren't true or misleading things people say about God, and maybe you're bummed by that or turned off. It's not easy following God. I want to be clear about that. It's not easy, and there are sacrifices on your end, but it does certainly give you some positive promises and direction for life of following God. If you've never accepted those promises, though, or said, God, I want your promises on my life, I want to give you a chance to embrace that. I want to give you a chance to just say that simply in your head, and your heart, that, God, I've messed up doing it my own way. I need your forgiveness. I need your direction to guide me. I accept Jesus' life and death as a sacrifice for my mistakes. I want hope in you for the future. And when you do that, say that in your head and your heart, it doesn't have to be a fancy prayer or anything, but just saying that, you can then have hope in these promises. You're a Christian, and it's this amazing moment in your life that you'll never forget, and it'll change your life forever. But this decision then, if you do this now or whenever, it then brings you to the middle of Advent. The middle of Advent, where we have embraced the hope from Jesus, his first arrival, and believe it, but now the second part of Advent, the future, is where our hope should be placed. Do you have a hope in God's promises in the future? Will you long for for it and hope for it the way Simeon and Anna did with the first coming of Jesus? Check out how this video describes what that second coming maybe is going to look like. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring. It's a choice to wait for God. Do you have a hope for the future? If so, it should inspire you to live for God and hope for that second coming of God. Or in other words, for God to just make heaven happen for all of us as soon as possible. I think this is an easy thing for us to say, like, I'm interested in that. Like, yeah, I hope for that. Like, yeah, it's great. But I want to be a bit real and raw with you for a second here. And you probably aren't going to want to hear a pastor say this. I personally, I do long for God to come again. I do. I know it's going to be worth it. I really do. But many times I think, God, could you wait a bit? Could you wait a bit? I want to see another Super Bowl win for the Packers, right? (laughs) I'm kidding on this one, right? Because they might be waiting a long time, right? But for real, I felt, God, I really want to live this weekend. I want to do what what we have planned this weekend. I really want to see my kids grow up and see what they turn into. I want to go visit a few more places. There's a few things on my list. I have a few more experiences I want to do. I haven't gotten to do this yet, God. Could, Could you just wait until after that? I want to grow old with my wife. God, I really want that. I still have some things to try. I hope for God to come, but I'm not at the temple praying, waiting, and yearning for Jesus to come again, like Anna. Or in today's time, I'm not praying, I'm not studying scripture, serving God every single night, and having my mind fixed on that future hope of Jesus to come to make everything right. Because honestly, things in my life aren't that bad to me, and I feel I don't need it that bad. And when I think about this, I realize I've been comfortable to the world. I've gotten comfortable to what the world offers versus doing what God desires. And I also 
we've become super ignorant to what's really going on in the world, which both of these statements are wrong. There are people without homes. There's people suffering through addiction. There's slavery. There's sex trafficking happening. There's people who live in need. There's people who are being abused and beaten and hurt every single day. There are children neglected. There's children dying. There's children starving. They need Jesus to come now. They need Jesus to come to make things right forever now. So whether I personally feel I need Jesus to come right now, as a Christian, if I'm truly looking at the state of the world, I need to put my hope in Jesus to come and reign as king and make everything right for people as soon as possible. I need to hope for that. And that hope should make me pray. It should make me serve. It should make me sacrifice and be devoted to the hope of Jesus to come like it did for Anna and Simeon which is actually our second and last point. Hope makes you different. Anna and Simeon, their hope in Jesus, it prompted them to do more and to live differently. Simeon, he was devoted, he was faithful, he was at the temple often. He, when he could be, I'm sure a lot of other places, he could have chosen to not do those things, but he devoted himself to being there. Anna, she's consistent, she's at the temple, she's worshiping, she's growing, she's serving, she's caring. She goes and witnesses to others. You see that she goes and shares what she sees and experiences. When she could have been sitting at home taking it easy as a retired folk. When you have hope, a confident hope, God prompts you to be different and to do more. As we bring that to our context today, what does God want differently from you when it comes to this Christmas season that shows you are longing for people to know the hope of Jesus that started on Christmas? And for the big picture of the things, for the things that are past Christmas, what does God want differently for you as a Christian person in expectation of Jesus to come again in the future? Let me give you a few examples for myself. In my role as the lead pastor here, uh, one of the big things that we plan for at this time is Christmas services. To, I really want them to be amazing. I want Christmas Eve services to be amazing because I know so many new people check out church during Christmas. You bring your friends, you bring your family members to check out church. So a lot goes into it. I want it to be intriguing to a person who's not normally into church, so we have some unique things that are part of it, yet still consistent to the message about Jesus. My difference for the Christmas service, though, is I put a crazy ton of work into it. I have hope that the message of Jesus is, and people will find hope in it through that service. And I believe it really can change lives. I want people to hear who Jesus is. I want people to find hope and life in him. So I invest a buttload of time into Christmas Eve. No one is pushing me to do this. I don't have a boss. I'm my own boss. I don't get paid more for Christmas. I don't get anything like that. But God just fires me up to be different when it comes to Christmas. Again, what's that for you? That maybe God wants from you to do to help others experience the hope of God this Christmas. I get you maybe don't run services like I do, but neither did Simeon and Anna. For you, maybe it's maybe you need to deck your house out with like Christmas lights and like Christmas spirit of cheer and share the positive of the reason for Christmas. Maybe that's your thing. Maybe you buy gifts for people who can't afford them. Maybe you sacrifice time at Salvation Army. Maybe you invite people to church. Maybe you share about Jesus to your people that you have influence over. What is God prompting you to do more of and to be different with this Christmas season that can model hope? And as we sit again in that middle of Advent, the past and the future, 
What is God prompting more of you or to be different with after the season as you hope and wait for Jesus' second return? Is it a change and difference in your devotion to church and God? You're longing for Christ to come more often. Maybe you're pursuing just, just bringing care or relief to people in need. You're pursuing those things, helping them have more hope in Jesus to come. Maybe for you it's, it's getting plugged in somewhere that's more mission-related. Maybe for you it's talking about God with someone. Maybe it's doing missions. Maybe it's, maybe it's becoming a church planner. Who knows? Maybe that's up your alley. Anna and Simeon, they had a hope that changed their life and what they did. And they got to glimpse some of the amazing things and seeing it come to completion. I don't know if you're going to see Jesus come again in your lifetime, but what is God stirring in you today that might change your life and might allow you to witness some of the amazing things Simeon and Anna did? As I wrap up today, we talked about hope being this waiting and longing with expectation. Is that the kind of hope you have for Christmas? and for people that are experiencing what Jesus started on this day? Is that the kind of hope you have for God to come and make everything right here on earth and forever in the future? As we reflect on Advent this month, I'm going to pray that we slow down and embrace the real meaning of Christmas. And for this week, have hope. Have hope and be hope. If you want God to remind you how to do that this week, you can pray with me right now as I ask for him to remind me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for just giving us some clear examples of how people hoped for you to come. Simeon and Anna. God, we just pray that whatever that is stirring in us to be like Simeon, to be like Anna, to be that hope to others, to be hoping for you, longing for you. God, we want others to experience some of that amazingness they did. I've seen you come and make things right. And then God, we, we pray for the future of you to come to make things right forever, for you to reign as king. God, I just pray that uh, you give us hope this week and you have us be hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.